Samuel chapter 16. Thank you for reading. Thank you for the prayer. May the Lord bless our opening up of the scriptures. First Samuel 16. We're going to continue where we left off. And we're going to read from verse 13 down to verse 23. First Samuel 16, verse 13 to 23. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful or an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful or an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. Verse 23. And whenever the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful or the evil spirit departed from him. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. When you started reading the Bible, where did you start reading? I bet the majority, if not everybody, when you first started reading the Bible or when it was recommended to you, To start reading the Bible, you were recommended to read the New Testament. Isn't that right? And more than likely, you started to read what was recommended to you, the Gospel of John. Well, that was the same with me back in the 70s when the Lord saved me. I started in the Gospel of John. And I kept reading through the New Testament. I read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans. And I kept noticing over and over again names that were popping up and events and incidents from the Old Testament that I was not familiar with and I said to myself, how can I be reading something in the New Testament that has laced in it all kinds of Old Testament references so I felt the need to go to the Old Testament and I started actually in the book of Exodus without anybody's advice. I just took on the book of Exodus. For some reason I skipped Genesis. But the point is I started to read the Old Testament. Then I began to see the picture start to fill in. Those dots were being connected once I started reading the Old and saw its relationship in the New Testament. Well, here we are trying to preach this morning and in the future Sundays on something in the Old Testament. Even though it's older than the New Testament, it has value for us even in the 21st century besides that of the 1st century when the original readers were uh, reading the Old Testament as well. 
Well, anyway, we're reading about the person named David in the Old Testament. Why is he important? Why would he be important for us to be even preaching on? First of all, there's an ancestral connection between David and Jesus. If you go to the genealogy in chapter uh, Matthew chapter 1, you will see that Jesus is traced back through the lineage of David, who was of the tribe of Judah, and only kings could come from the tribe of Judah. So there's an ancestral connection. There's also a typological connection between David and Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus was being uh, reprimanded for being a Sabbath breaker, because he and his disciples in the cornfield and they were working in the fields husking the corn they were criticized and Jesus says don't you remember David? and he refers to David in the Old Testament when he went into the house of the Lord and he he partook of what was considered the forbidden loaves that was designated only for the priest that was shared so he uses David as a type of himself as what David did he was doing and then thirdly and mainly for us here, that would be that Jesus is not just an ancestral connection to David, not just a typological one, but also David becomes a model for us to follow as well. As it tells us in Hebrews 11 that he's mentioned in the faithful, and in the 13th chapter it says, whose faith follow. So there's something to be learned in the life of David, and my hopes are that going through the life of David that we can learn certain things. With Abraham, who also has a genealogical connection to Jesus, of him we see that he represents a prophet. Aaron, Jesus is said to be a type of Aaron, in that he fulfilled the pattern of the Aaronic priestly work of providing sacrifice to satisfy God. Jesus was the ultimate priesthood in the Levitical services by offering himself as a sacrifice for sin to satisfy a holy God. I hope you understand that personally, that Jesus was a sacrifice to pay a penalty for your sins if you believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last representative is what we're talk- who we're talking about this morning, and that is David. David represents the king. So in Abraham, we have the representative of a prophet. In Aaron, we have the representative of a priest or the high priest. And then in David, we have the representative of the king. And Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to look at some of the kingly characteristics of David. We had mentioned last week that the first thing that made reference about David is the fact that he was keeping the sheep. Here in our verses, at his anointing, which is in the 13th verse, Jesus, excuse me, David is anointed by Samuel, and it tells us in verse 14, upon this incident, that uh, while the Spirit is rushing upon David, the Spirit at the same time, it seems, is departing from Saul. Saul was an unsatisfactory king. He was the people's choice. He had all the physical features that a nation would want to have out of a king. And Saul met those qualifications. He was looked up to to become a great leader of the people. But he failed as a servant to God, as a king under the king God himself. 
and therefore he was discarded, he was turned aside, and God had a man after his own heart named David who would become the substitute. So the Spirit of the Lord rushes, I like that term in verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, is the language that the ESV version indicates for us. And with 14 it says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul in an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now this is, you would say, bizarre. This is peculiar language. An evil spirit from the Lord or a harmful spirit from the Lord coming upon Saul? If God is considered to be all good and, and have these wonderful virtues and attributes about Him, how could God be sending an evil spirit upon Saul? Well, one thing I want to say at least that it's important to understand that we don't go to the Old Testament for doctrine. The Old Testament is certainly a, a, a book that we can get instruction from. I, I would have to, of course, not neglect 2 Timothy 3.16 that says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine reproof. That's an inclusive, if not exclusive, of that at that time when it was written that the Old Testament is so profitable. But there are some things that we are not going to find in the Old Testament for us to understand in the New Testament. And I'll get to that in a moment. Let me say this first. Saul is set aside and David now fills in that office of, of the king. The one who was anointed is no longer there. Now there's a substitute, one who is anointed. Saul, you could say, was a servant after the flesh. Saul, it seems to me, in lots of ways, could be seen as a representative of Israel, the nation of Israel. And Jesus, uh, David rather, of course, being the true servant of Israel, or of Yahweh, or of God. Saul was rejected. When the Lord Jesus came into the world... It's almost as if the Spirit departed from Israel and when Jesus is baptized, now the Spirit rushes upon Him and here He is in the, in the uh, uh, synagogue saying, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Like the Spirit was upon David, was no longer upon Saul, so the Spirit now is upon the Lord Jesus and no longer upon Israel. As a matter of fact, Israel is called God's Son both in the Old Testament, in the book Hosea, Exodus, and also repeated in Matthew chapter 2, where Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of the Son of God who is brought out of Egypt like, Jesus, like Israel was brought out of Egypt to the Promised Land. Jesus Himself was brought out of Egypt and He comes back into the land as a true fulfillment of the true servant of Yahweh. Jesus says about Israel, your house is left unto you desolate. You're cast into outer darkness that the kingdom is taken from you. Just like Saul. Saul lost all of his credentials. His status was now eliminated. He was now being replaced with a greater than himself. So there must be caution, again, in our understanding or interpretation of the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, one could possibly come to a conclusion that, well, Saul at one time had the Spirit, 
He must have been a believer. We might even use the term born again or saved. And now it seems like he lost his salvation. God was once his friend. Now he's his enemy. God once gave him the Spirit. Now he's giving him an evil spirit. Well, we don't go to the Old Testament for doctrine. That is something we have to understand. The Old Testament is, you could say, like elementary education. Grades kindergarten all the way up maybe to high school, if I can put it that way. And the New Testament would be like college, graduate studies, postgraduate studies, and doctorate's degree. That's how we need to understand the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was given differently than the way it was given in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was giving, given as a temporal aid to individuals for certain purposes and services that God had called them to. It was like an unctioning of these individuals to ordain them to a purpose. Many of the judges were. Many of the prophets, many of the writers of the Bible had this special Holy Spirit unction upon them that gave them this special enablement. In the New Testament, it's a different story in a sense. We now, who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are instantly, upon faith in the Lord Jesus, are filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, After that you believe the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's what distinguishes us from the world. They that drive... This is Matthew Henry. He says about this temporal uh, placement of the Spirit upon Saul and the departure of the Spirit from Saul can be also instructive for us who have the Spirit, who are in a permanent, fixed relationship with the Lord. Listen what Henry says. That drive the good Spirit away from them do become a prey to the evil spirit. If God and His grace do not rule us, sin and Satan will have possession of us. We should never take for granted our standing before God, which is permanent and unmovable, to be a reason for us to be licentious and and extend our liberties beyond the boundaries of orthodoxy, but beyond the, the bounds of orthopraxy, I guess we should say, so that we don't become sinful. We're not lasciviousness in our lifestyles. We can never lose, get this, we can never lose the occupancy of the Spirit within us as a believer in the Lord Jesus. But we can lose the influence of the Holy Spirit upon us. Do you follow me on that? We cannot lose the occupancy of the Spirit. We are sealed until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4 verse 30 says. But we can cause the Spirit to be ineffective to us. And that's why two particular adjectives that are used in the New Testament are to quench not the Spirit and also to grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieve and quench. That's a potential that every believer has to do to the gift of the Holy Spirit that God the Father has given to us. For what purpose is the Spirit is given to us? First of all, to seal us, to unite us with the Son in a union with Him that's an unbreakable one. 
He's also installed within us so that we can be obedient to the Lord, so that we can be worshipers of God, that we could be evangelistic in reaching out to others. And it also, He, the Holy Spirit, is given to us to comfort us. What a tremendous aid we have by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. That's what really distinguishes us from the world. There are those that have the Spirit and those that don't have the Spirit. In the book of Jude, verse 19, it describes the unconverted that they are sensual, not having the Spirit. That's a sad state to be in. Not having the Spirit. In Romans, it tells us, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, 9, he is none of His. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Him. That's the down payment that God has given to His purchasing of us. We belong to Him, and the Spirit of God is like the ring in our finger that seals us until the day of our future, ultimate, perfect union with the Lord Himself. The Spirit of God within us. We've been called, like David, from the sheep's pen to the king's palace. First Samuel 2.8 says he raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifts up the beggar out of the dunghill and sets them among princes that we may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He has set the world upon them. What an arena we have been brought into from what we were a part of. We're no more strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We're grafted in now to the olive tree. We're no more a part of the satanic kingdom. We're introduced into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Colossians 1 verse 14. What a transfer. Now think of David. David was a sheep, shepherd of sheep. He kept the sheep, a keeper of sheep. But there was another thing that David was... And that was, he played the lyre, lyre, which, which I think can be pronounced either way. Lyre, that's a musician for you. Okay, I'll say lyre, okay? Not with an I-A-R, but with a Y-R-E. Or a harpist. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. When, when did he become this? He became this before he even was anointed. I imagine he started playing music playing his lyre when he was a, a young man, a young boy. As a matter of fact, he's even young at this point when he's brought into the kingship and the anointing that Samuel places upon him. David's resume goes like this. He's skillful in playing. He's a man of valor and a man of war. He's prudent in speech. He's a man of good presence, the ESV says. Others says he was handsome. Uh, he must have had an aura about him that was attractive, uh, charismatically, I would think. And then lastly, and probably and definitely the most important would be, it says, and the Lord was with him. Isn't that a nice expression? The Lord is with him. Uh, praise the Lord that we can say the Lord is with us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so we may boldly say the Lord is our helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with you. 
Let's take advantage of what the Bible tells us about the Lord being with us. Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? What an asset. What a commendation. Now, I'm sure that this term, the Lord with him, is more than just a casual communion with the Lord, but rather an intimate one. And I think this goes back to his playing the harp or the lyre. That he was a musician. He's the anointed one for sure. And even though he's the anointed one and has characteristics that are called being a man of war, he knew how to handle weapons, he knew how to fight, but yet what seems to be highlighted here, Saul is not bringing him on board, so to speak, to help him in his battles, he's bringing him on board to help him in his own personal battles. Interesting that because of this evil spirit that was upon Saul, he was in need of ministerial help or pastoral assistance. He needed a touch from the Lord in his life. And there is one in the fold who's a young man who keeps sheep, who's a man of valor, a man of war, one who the Lord was with, but one who could play skillfully that instrument. Saul saw that as filling the void, filling the hurt, filling the need. It's amazing what music can do. I think it's under... under well, maybe it's not, but uh, I think maybe Christians could be underrating it sometimes. Our sister made reference earlier to worship songs, and man, those things are powerful. Play them. Play them often. Sing them in your heart. Sing them. Make melody unto the Lord in your heart. Because they are effective. Uh, Music is an amazing gift that God has given to mankind in general. And David is going to be the one to bring to Saul. He's going to bring him music. And if David is a type of Christ, think of what he brought us. He didn't come as the man of war, did he? He didn't come as the one who was you was wise in the use of weaponry. No, Jesus says God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Our meek and lowly Lord Jesus. He came here and His life was a life of music, you could say, to the world, to those around Him. The Bible says he went about doing good, healing all that were lost of the devil. You know, the Lord touched many more lives than lives that he saved. And we always have as our objective is to see people saved. And amen, that is the ultimate. And the most important thing for a person is to become a Christian, to be saved, to be a believer. And we hope that for our our husband, our wife, our father, our mother, our children, our neighbors, our friends, etc., rightfully so. But nevertheless, we still can, like the Lord, we can still impact the world around us. So that they can take knowledge that we have been with Jesus. Even though we may not be able to communicate that verbally to them, or they may not come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, they can observe us in a way that you could say, we are 
in a sense, playing skillfully that instrument of music that is communicating itself to those around us. David came to Saul like Jesus came into the world, not to wreak havoc, but he came to play music. Research has shown that listening to music can reduce anxiety, blood pressure, and pain as well as improve sleep quality, mood, mental alertness, and memory. Music has a strong effect on emotions. Emotions do control us, oftentimes beyond our intellectual desires or spiritual desires. Our emotions can take us in directions that we can say to ourselves, don't go there, don't go there. But emotions still can take us in those directions. You ever get into a funk where you're just a, you're depressed? You're, you're upset, you're down, and you just can't get out of that valley. And you're talking to yourself. And it just seems like the emotion is overriding everything that you say to yourself. Or maybe everything that you're even reading in the Word. Those are tough times. And good, godly people over the centuries have, been, have had to go through circumstances like that in their life. And I think all of us, maybe from day to day or week to week, we go through those valleys when we are down, we are depressed, and we find ourselves stuck in the mud of emotionalism. And some might be more inclined to a negative emotional effect than a positive emotional effects. You know, we have people who are pessimists, people that are optimists. Well, we should be not maybe so cerebral about it, but hopefully from the reading of the Word, like Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he have hope for? So hope is something that is instilled in the life of a believer. And what does that give us? That gives us an optimistic outcome or attitude that we should have. And the way we can balance that pessimistic emotion is by placing more emphasis on the optimistic emotion that the Bible can feed us with so that we are looking at the things that are good and true and pure and honest. Look at, look at Christ, our great high priest, who's seated at the right hand of God, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Music creates an understanding that goes beyond words. It helps create the emotional conditions for soul expansion. It makes you calm, happy, and serene so that you are well prepared to go within your meditation. Study after study has found that music therapy has a positive effect on a broad range of physical and psychological conditions, including dementia, anxiety, depression, and cancer. These are just general truths about music. Music is a universal gift that's given to mankind. And it's even effective, on the outside at least, for the world. It's a gift, you could say. It's one of the, uh, you could say, one of the pleasures for mankind. Even Saul said, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, not Saul, Solomon, writing the book of Ecclesiastes, if he is the author, he says it this way, I have also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces, provinces, and I got singers, both men and women. In other words, 
that music, the sounds of the voices, the melody, the harmony, the rhythm, all of that had an effect upon his soul. You know, even Elijah, it says of him, while the harpist played, the hand of the Lord came on Elijah. 2 Kings 3, verse 15. Remember when Jesus had gone to the house of the of the uh, was it Jairus' daughter that had died and her body was laid up uh, on the bed upstairs and when he comes into the house, who's there? The minstrels. They're playing music. A funeral dirge, if you will. Because the music produces an effect. In this case, probably a calming one. A soothing one to help the lamentation of the people that were there. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, too, this is David writing it, Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto Him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Psalm 144, 9, I will sing a new song unto Thee, O God, upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I praise Thee. Psalm 154, Praise Him with a timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Isaiah 38, 20, We will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Are you convinced that music can be a blessing and a benefit to you? David's introduced very early as being a skillful player of music. I think all of us have, have our feet tapping when we hear music. I don't care who they are, the Beatles, the Stones, the Beach Boys, you're going to tap your feet. Because when the sound of those guitar strings are struck, and when that piano or that organ, is the keyboard, when, that, when that's touched, you just jump. It's just there. That's what we're made of. We're emotional people. And music stirs up the emotion. The better the music you have, the better off you will be. The better the lyrics are, the better off you will be too. Because if you really want ministry for your soul, you need to have those lyrics blending in with those beautiful sounds of the musical instruments. And some have been able to put music together. I mean, the band, and this worship band right here. John and others, all of you, thank you for the ministry that you bring to this body, to us. It's awesome. I can't, I can't put enough emphasis on how valuable music is to worship. It's throughout the Bible. It's invaluable. It's a... not a supplement, but it's a coordinating matter that infuses itself with our praises. The word Psalms has in its derivative meaning stringed instrument with it. So music is complementary to praises. And it must be added in our heart. Now, you might say, I don't have a musical instrument. Maybe you don't even have a songs that you can play. But you know, one thing you do have, you have a heart. And the Bible says that you can make melody in your heart unto the Lord. So that's the musical instrument, believe it or not, brothers and sisters, that all of us have. And the Scripture says about teaching yourselves through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. What is in your heart? You know, if the Word is in it, 
It's making melody to the Lord and to yourself. God amazingly stoops to a level that He even is desirous to have music played in His ears and throughout the Psalms it becomes a very emphatic point about how music contributes itself to the praises of God. So I want to thank our worship team the many times that you've practiced the lyrics that are sent out to the team. My wife's a part of that, so I have a little sense of what, what it involves. And for the gifts that God has given to the musicians and to the singers. And I think it does, doesn't it, draw you out? in the choice of songs that are picked, awesome. The old hymns, we never want to forget them, brothers and sisters. I'll crack the whip if we, don't, if we have to let them go. They're too valuable. Uh, you, I love going through the hymns, whether, uh, whether I can play an instrument, instrument to it or not. Just reading those lyrics just stirs up my soul and brings me closer to the Lord. David came to Saul as a servant. David could have very easily said to Saul, Excuse me, I'm the new anointed one. The, the, the ointment is on me now. It's departed from you, and you need to step aside. He didn't do that at all. Matter of fact, David did not even give a hint that he was the anointed one. And he definitely was. And even when Saul was pursuing him, and we'll get into it in later chapters, David always kept that low profile. Talk about a type of Christ. David certainly fulfills that in many ways. That lowliness, that meekness, that humbleness. If there's anyone to mimic, it's the Lord Jesus when it comes to the perfect life and to mimic that lowliness that He demonstrated. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what the Lord was. Poor in spirit in the sense that He was one that ministered. He said, I didn't come to minister to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve and give my life as a ransom to all. That's the role of one that is a servant-like character that they will give themselves in an unyielding way, very altruistically. Music. What kind of music do you play? Are you a musician? Can you play? You might say, I'm, I'm over the hill. I, I just, I'm kind of I'm rusting out. Uh, I've lost that uh, rejuvenating spirit. I, I'm not jovial anymore. I don't, have, I don't have that spiritual energy like I did before. You might feel like a kind of a disposable razor. You served you, your, your days and now it's over with. Don't think like that for a second. You've got life and breath in you. God can use you. We always talk about, or you've heard the expression, God has a plan for your life. But how are you preparing your life for God to use you in the course of your travels in this world. You might feel like a violin that's useless. Listen to the words and see if these apply to you. About the auctioneer who's trying to sell a violin. And these are the words. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin but he held it up with a smile. What is the bid, good people? He cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar? One dollar? Do I hear two? Two dollars? Who makes it free? Three dollars once? Three dollars twice? Going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man 
came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I bid for this old violin as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand! One thousand! Do I hear two? Two thousand! Who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the Master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game and he travels on, He's going once, he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the Master comes. And the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of the soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the Master's hand. Talk about a skillful player. Who's that in this auctioneer poem? It's the Lord Jesus. He knows how to play it so skillfully. As a matter of fact, He's got your heart in His hands. And He can tune it, brother and sister, when you're ready to throw it out and say, it's worthless. I'm doing nothing for the Lord. I don't have any desires for the things of God anymore. I'm just going through the motions. It's all dull and dry to me. The Lord Jesus is on the throne of your heart, brother and sister. And let Him touch those strings of your heart and bring some music out of you, brothers and sisters, so that maybe you can even say an amen in a sermon sometime. Or maybe you can witness to somebody and say, i got something i got to share with you. This is too good to keep to myself. That's because the Master's hand is on the strings of my heart. He's controlling me so that I want to now give you some music. Music that cause your feet not only to tap, but I want your heart to be made right in the sight of a holy God. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a masterful, skillful player we have in the Lord Jesus. And to think that He's willing to take us up as an instrument of His and use us for His purposes. Don't sell yourself short by selling the Lord short because He's not. You're valuable to Him. If He bought you with His precious blood, you are an invaluable purchase of His because it was by His own precious blood that He owns you. Not just to take you to heaven, but to make you to be a vessel sanctified and meet for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. Let's praise the Lord Jesus who came from the keeping of sheep to be in the King's palace because right now He's seated in the heavenlies. His sheep days were done. Now He's in the heavenlies and He's trying to minister to us from heaven as a skillful player and bringing out of us those things that will be music in His ears and will be a praise to God from our hearts and will even affect those around us 
We are a musical instrument and we are, in some non-auditory way, we are playing music before the world because the Lord has His fingers on the strings of our heart. Let's close in prayer.